give this morning, Black Box out by Ben's office, also mygospelcc.org. If you're new and you're visiting, welcome. We do have a gift for you just outside to the left. It's a coffee mug, some information on the church. We'd love it if you would grab one of those. If you're seated on the farthest outside row, we have registers. Those registers are important. I know we say this often. We want to pray with you, for you, and also rejoice with you. So if you would just pass those along, jot your name, prayer request, we would sure appreciate that. Hey, two things coming up next Sunday that are really, really going to be good. One is the donuts and coffee in between the service. That, that okay, yeah, donuts are good, coffee's good. What's actually good is it's an opportunity for us to connect the two services together. You know, we prayed over, do we go to a second service, do we not? And one of our fears was we could have two independent, disconnected bodies of believers. This is a way of us coming together on that Sunday. So plan to stay around afterwards and then as people are coming. But it would be a great way to connect with others from the second service, especially as the church continues to grow. So make a plans to be here for next Sunday in between the services. Arguably more important, which is a little bit more of my passion. I love donuts. I love coffee. But I really think we need to pray. So next Sunday, one of the things about going to two services is we used to have the ability just to pray right after the service. Well, we no longer have that ability. Now what we're going to do is we're going to pray in the evening from 5 to 6.15 next Sunday. I will make you a promise because God makes the promise. If you come, that hour and 15 minutes, it will not be in vain. I promise you if you come, you will leave fulfilled because the Holy Spirit moves throughout the congregation. But we are a church that is centered on fervent prayer. We need to pray. It shows our dependence. It shows our desperation. It connects us together. 5 to 6.15 next Sunday, we're going to pray together as a church. And we need to cry out to the Lord. I've read you the verse from Second Chronicles many, many times. But unless we cry out to the Lord, only he will heal our land. Only God can heal our land, right? Only God can move hearts to change. And so I hope you'll join us next Sunday for that. Well, let me pray as Ben comes forth and brings the word. Well, Lord, we come to you with nothing but praise and thanksgiving for what you've done for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And without that shed blood, Lord, we would not have forgiveness of sins. So we are overcome with joy this morning, knowing that you are glorious and you are good. And so, God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would transform us. I pray that you would speak to us in just a powerful way, that we would walk out of these doors encouraged and changed. And, Lord, I ask that you do a mighty work this morning as we sense the presence of God through your Holy Spirit in the congregation. Be with Ben as he preaches. Lord, may we exalt Christ in all that we say and do. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we today? I've endured four junior high basketball games coaching this week, so my voice <laughs> is a little bit toast here. But uh, I'm so happy to come together and open up God's word. That's an important thing for us to do, isn't it? Like, what do we have without God's word? But with it, we have everything we need, amen? God has given us this great gift that are his words written to us. What an amazing thing. God has not left us 
on our own. In case there's someone out here, out there who doesn't know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I am the senior pastor here, and I want to invite you now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Of course, we are continuing our series uh, in Acts, which we will be in for a long time, by the way. Uh, but it is entitled To the End of the Earth. It's right? all about taking the gospel to the end of the earth. In 2016, there was a movie that came out by the name of Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody see that movie? Uh, it is based on the true story of Desmond Doss. Now, Doss was a conscientious objector uh, who took very seriously the command, Thou shalt not kill. And yet, even despite that, he enlisted in the military in order to serve as a medic. Now, because of his beliefs, he refused to carry a weapon to war, which left many around him very irritated. They were very frustrated with him. There were many obstacles that he had to overcome, people who were trying to get him kicked out of the army, people trying to get him to quit. And yet, he carried on because he was committed to serving his country. And he found himself in one of the bloodiest battles in the Pacific during World War II. And it was at the Battle of Okinawa. Now, he was assigned to the 77th Infantry Division and his unit was tasked with the relief of the 96th Infantry Division to ascend and secure a very dangerous location that they called Hacksaw Ridge. And it was during this battle that Doss over and over and over again put his life in extreme danger. You see, his unit had faced this serious counterattack from the enemy to the point where they had to completely evacuate from the ridge. And due to the attack, there were many who were left wounded on the battlefield. But it did not deter Doss from rescuing soldier after soldier after soldier. His estimates were about 50 people, but the, the soldier said it was more like 100, and so he's, he's known for rescuing around 75 men, giving his life up for these men. And for his heroics, Doss became the first conscientious objector to win the Medal of Honor. We love rescue stories, don't we? We, it is written in the fabric of our being, this desire, this love, this fascination with these amazing stories of rescue. I mean, that's why this movie made over $180 million, because people love to hear these kinds of stories. But we have the greatest story of rescue, don't we, that we experience in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And what Christ did for Paul here is nothing less than extraordinary. Nothing less than amazing. And it's in this that we see God's amazing saving grace toward Saul. So follow with me in Acts 9 as I read starting in verse 1. <clears throat> but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to them away, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly 
a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And so they led him by, hand, by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Pray with me. Father, what an amazing story of grace, of mercy, of your incredible saving power. Lord, that you could take the vilest of sinners and call him to yourself. And Lord, you have taken many of us who are vile in our own rights, worthy of condemnation, and you have granted us grace. Lord, this morning I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, that we would once again see how amazing your grace is. Not just towards Saul, but to all of us. Lord, I pray for the gift of illumination that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see the beauty of your grace. Lord, that there would be somebody in here who feels like Saul, who feels like their life has been far too far gone. God, that they would realize that your mercy is offered today, that we would repent and believe. So, Lord, thank you for the hope that we see here this morning. Lord, meet with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about the amazing conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And as you remember, God's sovereignty was all over that story, wasn't it? You have Philip who's... Just minding his own business, 
And the Lord shows up and says, I want you to go and walk this way for me. I'm going to lead you to somebody. And he leads him to go to the Ethiopian, his chariot. And by God's grace, he's reading through Isaiah and reading about the suffering servant. He's reading this out loud. And Philip's like, hey, do you need an interpreter? I mean, what an opportunity for Philip to lay the gospel out all from the, New, from the Old Testament. And so he shares the gospel, and the Ethiopian, by God's grace, is radically saved. And this week, God's saving power is seen in an even more extraordinary way. And so as we break down these verses, I want to consider just how amazing God's grace is. And it starts with this. Saul was a wicked man. Saul was a wicked man. Man, look again at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we were first introduced to Saul at the end of chapter 7. And this is when Stephen was stoned. And in verse 58, we see that the witnesses... Now, those who were throwing the stones that killed Stephen, they were laying down their garments at the feet of a, this young man named Saul. So Saul was a man of authority. He was one that people respected. He was one that people had looked up to. And he was in full approval of Stephen's execution. And in chapter 8, verse 3 we see that he went on ravaging the church to the point that not only was he dragging off men to prison, but he was also taking the women and doing the same thing. Saul was right there in the middle of the persecution that was taking place against these early Christians, this early church. And chapter 9 doesn't paint much of a better picture, does it? I mean, he, as we see, he is continuing to breathe threats and murder against the disciples as he's on his way to Damascus. For what reason? To, rest, to persecute, to arrest more Christians. He's on an outright witch hunt for believers. Seeking more whom he may imprison. Seeking to shut the mouths of those who are proclaiming Christ. Now this isn't something he's being forced into doing. I mean this is a 140 mile trip to Damascus in order to do this. I mean he is red hot with anger and determination to extinguish this Christian faith that is sweeping through Jerusalem to the end of the earth. He's not just simply doing something that he was told to do. He is tracking down names of people. Saul is an evil man, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you call him somebody who is wicked? And consider what Saul himself says of himself. Now, we also know him as Paul. Now, don't get confused here. This isn't like a conversion. And once he was converted, he went from Saul to Paul. Some people have that. It's just a name that he was known as Saul and he's known as Paul. And so these are the same people. But notice what Saul said in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am 
the foremost. What, what is Saul saying here? He's saying, I'm the chief of sinners. What worse can you get than killing the people of God? He was murdering God's people. How horrendous can you get? Can you think of anything much worse than that? And yet, what did God do? He rescued even the vilest of sinners. Even though Saul was wicked, God's grace was greater. We're going to get into that more. But the first thing that we need to understand with Saul is he was a wicked man. Look at verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Here's the second thing I want you to be aware of as we look at this passage. Saul's life changed in an instant. Saul's life changed suddenly. So imagine the scene. Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. And by this point, he is on a roll. No doubt, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were cheering him on in what he was doing. Taking this initiation to travel 140 miles to Damascus to go after more believers in Christ. But then, this blazing light comes from heaven and, and knocks Saul to the ground. And we see he, he's blind for three days because of this. And he neither eats nor drinks. Does it make you wonder what the rest of the trip was like? I mean, he's got these other men with him who, uh, they hear this voice. Now, we don't know if it was cognitive to them. They, we don't know if they understood. But he hears this, they hear this voice. They see no one. And all of a sudden, they're blind. Saul's blind, but they're not. And now they, they're to lead him to Damascus. I mean, what was that conversation like? So, Saul, what, uh, what happened there? Uh, what, what's, what's going on here? I mean, I just imagine that it was just utter silence. That this is everybody probably freaking out. Unaware of what just took place. Now, there are some who would hold to a gradual conversion of Saul. Uh, they, they would say that the death of Stephen had him rattled, and that he was, he was starting to reconsider everything. But we have no proof of that. There's no proof. If you look at what Paul says later in his epistles, there's no understanding or no thinking that this was a gradual progression, that God was just pulling him along gradually. No, this is, this is a man who is on a mission to persecute believers and instantly God changes and flips the script on his life. And don't you wonder what Paul, what Saul was thinking during this time? 
what would become of him and all that he had done? You know, was he reliving his actions over the years? Was he aware that everything that he had spent his life on was now rubbish? Had now come to nothing. Everything that he lived for was a lie. And here, instantly, in a moment, everything changes for him. And I want you to stay here and I want you to turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to see just what Paul thought of this moment. What went through his mind in light of this interaction, this encounter of Christ on the road to Damascus. Philippians chapter 3. Let's just consider what Paul thought after this encounter. Philippians 3, starting at verse 3, says this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now here's a guy who had put all of his confidence in his flesh up to this point in Acts, right? Like everything that he did was based on what he had done. He wasn't thinking about anybody else. He was a Jew. He was circumcised. But he, was, he couldn't be further away from the Lord at this point. And yet we see he's come to the point where he realizes no confidence can be put in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here he's laying out his earthly resume. And from a Jewish perspective, I mean, he's got it all made. He's dotted every I. He has crossed every T. I mean, he... He's well respected by the Jewish leaders, by the Pharisees. This, Paul is no slouch spiritually here, or, or earthly speaking here. He is very high up, very much esteemed, has much to boast in as far as it comes to his flesh. Verse 7, though, he brings all of that into the correct perspective that we should all have in light of our earthly success. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, literally as dung. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a man who in an instant realized that everything that he had lived for before was loss, was rubbish, was garbage. These are the things that I think Paul was pondering when that light blinded him. And he's on his way to Damascus. 
He went from being on top of the world in his field of expertise to watch it all crumble in a flash. So what, what can we take away from this? Like, What does this have to say to us today? If you are anything like me, you can find it really hard to lose heart with certain people as if they would have any hope of coming to Christ. You ever, you ever have that? Perhaps a family member? A friend? Maybe what comes to your mind is a political leader who you think is just too far gone. There is no hope for them. There's no possible way, and you've just written them off. Maybe it's somebody who leads you to much anger, and you don't want them to have hope. It can be very easy for us to count those people out. It can be very easy to think that someone close to us has no hope. I mean, who has less hope than Paul, than Saul here that we see here? Who is more far off than him? This should give us great hope to realize that those in our lives, those family members, those friends, those leaders who could have great impact if God were to rescue them are not outside the hope of God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you look at the conversion of Saul and realize that that person in your life is not outside of God's unchanging grace? God has the power to save anyone. Brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Even the vilest of sinners in your life are not outside the grace of God. That family member who has shown no sign of repentance or faith, God can open his eyes today. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep praying. God can change Saul in an instant. He can change the loved one that you've been praying for for years. Saul's life changed in an instant. Look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Here's what we see in the text. God sometimes calls us to difficult people. God sometimes calls us to witness to difficult people. I can't imagine being Ananias here. Can you? <laughs> He's a follower of Christ. And here he has this vision where the Lord tells him to go meet a man named Saul. Now, of course, the word about Saul and what he has done has spread to the church. Throughout the church, they're aware of this guy. And so can you imagine Ananias having this vision? 
asking himself, like, what did I drink for, for, for lunch? Did I have a little bit too much? Lord, what are, wait, what are you asking me to do? Who? Saul of who? Wait, no, can't be Saul of Tarsus. Like, you, you realize what he did, right? And you realize what he's doing? He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He's been dragging men and women out ever since, taking them to prison. And you're wanting me to go to him? Are you crazy? It's a, it's a crazy ask, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, who, like, imagine you being asked to, hey, go, go, I want you to go to the leader of the Taliban. <laughs> Have a conversation with him. Can, can you imagine? I don't think we possibly can imagine what an amazing thing. I, I can picture Ananias, I can picture one of us saying, hey, have you been watching Fox News? <laughs> you see what's going on? But this is what God calls us to at times, doesn't it? Sometimes we are called to go to that difficult person who has made things hard for us. But yet we're persistent because we still hold hope. That God could penetrate their hearts. And if God calls us to go, he who calls us is faithful. We can trust God in this situation, in these kind of situations. Remember last week's sermon. We are called to go share the gospel. And as we pursue the Lord, we grow in sensitivity to what he is leading us to do. And that when a hard call comes our way... May we remain faithful to the Lord because we trust him. God led Philip to go up to the stranger's chariot. I mean, we thought that was dangerous enough, right? And here Ananias is called to go to a murderer of Christians and to help him. Now, I, I got to be honest. You know, I wonder... Uh, even reading this week, I wondered if God anticipated what Ananias might be thinking. So look at verse 16 with me, because I, I wonder if, like, this is for Ananias. <laughs> look at it. It says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And, I mean, isn't that our nature, though, when somebody has done such heinous things like Saul has done, that we want them to suffer can you imagine Ananias saying, I don't want to go to him. I want him to pay for what he's done to my brothers and sisters. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He deserves judgment. That's where I think I would be tempted to go. We want people to pay for their wrongdoing. But we have to be careful. We have to guard our hearts certain situations like this. And I fear that many Christians would rather have people be punished on this earth for their wickedness than to see them come to repentance. And we may even come to the point that we would refuse to witness to them because we don't think they deserve to be saved. That's a danger that we have to be aware of as believers. And doesn't this sound like somebody else in the Old Testament? Have you ever read the book of Jonah? Jonah was told to go to the people of Nineveh and, and preach repentance because judgment was coming. And Jonah was like, no way, I'm, going, I'm going, not going there. And so he got on a, a boat and went the other way. And while he's, on the, while he's on this boat, this huge storm comes. 
And those who are on the boat saying, are come to Jonah and say, pray to your God because we're all about to die. And Jonah's convicted and he realizes that he is running away from what the Lord has called him to do. And so he has them throw him overboard. And when he's thrown overboard, this big giant fish swallows him. And he's in the stomach of this fish for three days until he is thrown up onto the shore of Nineveh. And Jonah's really a depressing book, isn't it? Even at the end, you, you leave feeling depressed and unsettled because Jonah does preach the word. And the people do repent. And Jonah's angry about it. Jonah didn't want Nineveh, he didn't want to go there to warn them because he knew God was gracious and merciful and would offer forgiveness. So the question we have for us this morning is, do you find yourself not wanting others to taste the forgiveness of God? Would you rather see someone suffer than to find the joy of the Lord? This really ties into our last point, doesn't it? Not only should we not think people are beyond hope, but we must guard against withholding the gospel because we are angry and afraid God will allow someone to get away with their sin. But here's the reality for all of us. If you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you will escape the wrath that is due to you. See, when we read about what Paul said in 1 Timothy about being the chief of sinners, I don't think we should walk away agreeing with Paul. I think we should all realize that for each of us, for me, I am the vilest of sinners. Even it, Paul says that he acted out of ignorance. And how many of us, even after being saved, have been foolish? And yet, does God give up on us? Does he cast us aside because we're too difficult to deal with? Brothers and sisters, if, if you find yourself angry at anyone this morning, let me remind you that God's word says, anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. And God is all about justice, and there is justice that will happen here on this earth. That's why God gave us government forgiveness of somebody and asking God to rescue someone isn't saying let everything they've done on this earth, all the consequences earthly be done away with. That's not what we're saying at all. But what we should be called to as believers is understanding God calls us to difficult people, first of all, because we're difficult people. Amen? And second of all, because God is in the power of changing difficult people. So maybe there are some political leaders where you have to ask God if they are truly going against the ways of the Lord. Ask God to bring repentance. I mean, can you, can you imagine the impact that Saul's salvation had on the Jews who were following his ways, following Paul's ways, who were participating in the persecution and here a major leader of the Jews is saved, the power that that has. Oh, church, may that lead us, first of all, to pray for anybody, no matter their status, 
But may we be on our knees continually for the leaders of our country. Are they beyond the hope of Jesus Christ? So make sure your heart doesn't lead you to a place where you just want them to be punished. But you long for their salvation too. Because God has been gracious to all of us. All of us deserve hell. So that really just kind of leads us to this overarching theme of this section here. That's this. No one is outside the power of God's saving grace. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food. He was strengthened. No one is outside the power of God's saving grace. Ananias does indeed obey the Lord. He goes to Saul. He prays for him. He receives his sight back. He repents and places his faith in Christ. He receives the Holy Spirit. And immediately, what does he do? He gets baptized. So let me just pause here for a second. I don't feel like we talk about baptism enough. Now, first of all, we need to understand, does baptism save us? Like, are we saved by water? No, we're not saved by being baptized. But however, it is a commandment from God to be baptized. And so Paul's following in obedience of the Lord to be baptized. It's right in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all people doing what? Baptizing them. Baptism is a command from the Lord. So why should we be baptized? First of all, it's a command to be baptized. God calls us to do that, to walk in obedience. It doesn't save us, but rather it's a call to obedience. Secondly, I think we, should, we all should be baptized because it's a public profession of faith in Christ. It's a picture that we have been buried with Christ. We're dying to our old way of living. Paul has died to his old way of living. He's no longer going to live like a Pharisee. He's no longer living that way, and now he's raised to new life in Christ. His identity isn't what used to be. He's dead to that. His new identity is Christ crucified. We just sang about it today. Baptism is a public profession of our faith in Christ. And we see all throughout Acts people coming to Christ and being baptized right away. Philip Last week, Philip was baptized, baptized the eunuch. Here, Saul was baptized. And as believers, this is what we are called to do. And so, just to pause for a moment, have you taken that step of obedience? Have you followed the ways of the Lord in obedience? Now, Lord willing, we're going to hold another one next week, next year, at the beginning, early next year. We don't have the the ability yet for us as a church to do it, we're just renting the building for now. So I don't really want to spend a whole lot of money to get some kind of baptismal, uh, but we can get that set up. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, please come talk to one of the elders or the pastors uh, so that we can work through that with you. So Paul was radically 
and suddenly saved. He turned from his former way of living. He repented and placed his faith in Christ and followed that by being obedient to Christ in baptism. What an amazing testimony of God's saving grace. And as we wrap up this morning, my prayer is that we would leave here with a deeper sense of the saving power of God. That we would not lose heart with our loved ones, with our friends, with those who may, we may even call enemies. That we would understand that God can save the vilest of sinners. Maybe some of you this morning, you feel like Saul. You understand that you're the vilest of sinners and you think that maybe you're too far gone. That God would, could not receive someone like you. Oh, what I want you to walk out this morning with is the understanding that Saul persecuted and killed believers. How many of you have killed a believer lately? <laughs> Even still, if you have, there is grace and mercy. You can repent and turn away, acknowledge that that way of living was wrong and evil, and yet God's grace can save you this morning. If you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and was raised again, defeating death, defeating the power of sin, no one is too vile for God. The scriptures say where sin increased, grace did what? Grace increased all the more. You can find salvation. For believers in Christ this morning, my encouragement to you is don't stop praying for those in your life who are far from the Lord. Saul, in a flash, literally, his life was changed. Don't lose hope. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. And guard your heart from thinking somebody is too far gone. Guard your heart for wanting it to be too far gone. Because we can all go there, can't we? We can all find ourselves in a place that boss is driving us nuts. Those people in our lives who are making decisions that are causing great grief. God is able to save even the vilest of sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the life of Saul, Lord, that we see here. What an amazing transformation, Lord. What amazing testimony of your sovereign grace. Lord, each of us can look at the life of Saul. And we can look at our own lives and see how even today, even after following you for years, some of us, we still don't measure up. And so who are we to look at somebody else and say they're without hope when we should have been without hope? And yet because of the transformation of the gospel, we stand here forgiven. So Lord, stir in us that we would have a longing, a longing for all people, those in our spheres of influence, those whom we watch on television, would we be freshly aware that you can save anyone in a flash? 
You can allow anything to come in their path that would draw them to you. Lord, we ask that you do that. So God, make us fervent in prayer. And Lord, make us aware of your grace. Our sins are so many. But your mercy is more. God, thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you for your power to save. You are worthy of everything we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing in response. Praise the Lord. His mercy is born. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins they are many. His mercy is born.